Hello, welcome to the MAGA Life Podcast. I'm Daniel Shaw, and I'm here with Steve Tarani. Uh, if you've been around the, the gun game, the um, defense game for a little bit, you've probably seen this name come up a time or two, and uh, I'm not going to tell you why. I think the conversation that we're about to have will say why, that he's uh, a person that should be listened to and heard out there in this world. So, Steve, welcome to the MAGA Life Podcast. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me on board, Daniel. Steve, I... I've read about your bio, uh, read many of your articles, and um, I just would, how do you sum up when somebody says, hey, what do you do? What do you do for a living, Steve? Nice to meet you. <laughs> it's a good question. Uh, depends on who it is, I suppose, you know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's what I do. I like, I work in the outdoor industry. That's my right. question for what. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> well, um, as you know, most of, uh, most of what you and I do, it's in the, is in the hard skills industry, you know, working with, uh, folks that, uh, if I could explain a little bit about hard skills and the difference between hard skills and soft skills, sure. it's a good start. So when we use the term hard skills, most of our, our listeners or viewers, you know, understand that that usually refers to anything that has to do with something physical, like an activity such as shooting, um, hand-to-hand combat, defensive driving, something along those lines. Those are the hard skills. Uh, one of the areas that I also specialize in is soft skills. Uh, those are the skills that's that skill set that does not require any physical activity, such as utilizing your situational awareness or verbal judo, or de-escalation skills, things like that. So it does not involve the usage of the physical body other than other than your observation. So most of my time in the industry started off in the hard skills side of the fence, and the more and more I learned and the more experience over the last 37 years of my being involved, uh, I came to find uh, more emphasis in, on the value of the soft skills and that's why I spent so much time in that sector and uh, do a tremendous amount of uh, work now, more so in the soft skills than the hard skills. Can you tell me how that, that kind of came about, that, that observation? You know, was this like uh, one day you woke up and you're like, man, this stuff works, so I don't have to use the hard skills. You know, and if we can do the X and, you know, eliminate the need to do Y, you know, we still need to be, have the capability to do Y, you know, was this a long-term thing? You just kept building and kept going that direction? Uh, Cause it totally makes sense, you know, as you develop, get more wiser and, uh, you know, better understanding of the grand scheme of things to start going strongly to soft skills. It's a, it's a very astute observation and it happens to be true. Um, on, I'll give you a two Two perspectives on this to shed light on it. Uh, one is uh, I spent some a little bit of my career in law enforcement. I was a federal contractor. I worked for Uncle Sam. Spent quite a bit of time overseas, and uh, as I was uh, as I was doing all that, I, I was also involved in instruction. So I kept one foot in the in the in the world of uh, professional adult learning and teaching. So nowadays, I pretty much just do the uh, train the trainer and a little bit of uh, protection work here and there. So I keep one foot in the training world and one foot in, in the ops world. So from those two, two, from, I'm said that keeps you pretty current. I'm guessing, yeah, keeping absolutely. One foot in Yes, sir. I don't, you know, I really don't want to be one of those guys that, you know, hey, 20 years ago when I did this, you know, because mm-hmm. times change, people change, tactics change, gear changes. And you, for you, to, for your information to remain relevant to you, you have to be in it, you know, I think day to day. So, so from two perspectives, one, the educational and two, operational. So in the field, uh, you know, in the world of protection, you're, you're out there trying to, uh, trying to keep your protectees safe. And, um, the best, the best example I can relate to this is, uh, one time before we were off to, uh, uh going, going overseas, we had a, a, a pre-deployment briefing and the guy who was, uh, he was, he had been an agent for many years, uh, probably 30 something years on. And he, he said to us at the beginning of the class, hey, if you boys go to guns, you failed. 
that kind of took us by surprise. You know, what do you mean if we go to guns? We're, that's our, you know, you can't even get on an airplane unless you're qualified, right? So he says, no, think about it like this. He, he considered going to guns the equivalent of uh, the story of the Titanic. You know, he goes, if you go to guns, think about it. The very first, your very re- first response, you pull out the hammers. Well, well, where do you think the other guy's bullets are going to go? They're going towards the protectee. He says, how about this? He considered firearms to be like the lifeboats on the Titanic. He said, boys, how about this? I have an idea. How about look for an iceberg? You know, would that be a good idea? And we all kind of shook our heads. Yes, yeah, nice. You know, he goes, and, and if you look for an iceberg, then you may find one. If you do find one, if you look for an iceberg and find the iceberg, then, well, there's an iceberg. You need to drive around it. So if you've looked for it and find one and drive around one and don't hit one, how much more success is it if you fail? How much more success than if you fail? to look for an iceberg, fail to see it, fail to drive around it, and then smash into it. Then, then do you need the lifeboats? The answer is yes. But you failed five times. So mm-hmm. going to guns, you failed. Then made sense to me years later, you know, when you realize you want to keep somebody safe, get them off the X, moved them from a bad spot to a good spot. All of it does not require going to guns. The the uh, from the training. I don't have set. a lot of experience in the in the. I don't have a lot of experience in the the close protection world. You know, the most that I've done is like, um, hey, we need uh, we need a, an NCO and and six Marines to go protect the CO while he goes and deals with, you know, the the elders of of the city next by and nearby and and has a meeting kind of thing. And so that's kind of the extent of my uh, training and preparation and experience in in protection. Um, but I, I, I find it interesting right there, uh, that a lot of the things you just talked about was, um, one of my, my favorite schools that I went to in the Marine Corps that I, and I say it's, it's probably the, I mean, I, I did a lot of really good schools in, in the Marine Corps. They t- taxpayers sent me to some pretty cool stuff. I'm really lucky. Um, but probably the most impactful on every part of my life, not just fighting or defense was, uh, the combat hunter program and didn't fire a single shot. It's all observation. It's all, uh, you know, understanding what's happening out there. I'm, I'm sure you're quite familiar. Yeah, it's a uh, – didn't uh, Jason Riley uh, write a book, uh, Left of Bang, I believe, it bang. was based on that uh, excellent book. And uh, he and I have talked mm-hmm. prior, you know, good material, rock-solid uh, organization. And, uh, being a- again, being able to see the threat before you find yourself in it. So, so, so – Using left of bang as a good example, uh, <clears throat> you you have three options when dealing with any type of a real world threat scenario, and that is you can be proactive, you can be active, or you can be reactive. The proactive and active parts are left of bang, which is about roughly ninety percent of that equation. It's only the last ten percent where you're forced into reaction where you have no choice but to get physical in that last 10% of, the, of, the, of that cycle. So the 90% from 0 to 100, 90% of it is left of bang, 10% of it is right of bang. Everything left of bang, you can use soft skills, anything at or after bang, you have no choice but to react utilizing your hard skills. Can you put this in perspective, just the way all this works for um, like a regular armed citizen meeting a a threat that that regular armed citizen would likely to, to be in the encounter i guess you could say so like using those uh, soft skills you know day to day i guess sure uh well think about it in terms of uh frequency you know uh yourself included think about in your lifetime even with your dod background think about the number of times you were in a blazing gunfight, knee-deep in hand grenade pins, face, you know, pounding the guy in the face, uh, teeth in the curb, fight, drag down, knockout, hard skills, altercation, compared to the number of times you observe something and not been physically involved. What percentage would you say that would be one against the other? Oh, wow. Uh, 95 to 5, 98 to 2, 99 to yeah. 1? Something like that. Yep. Yep. That's, and that's with your DOD background. 
I, I asked that same question of career, you know, three decade career long uh, police officers, and they said the same thing. Yeah, about ninety eight to two percent. So now think about the average civilian whose job it is not DOD responsibility or not law enforcement responsibility. It's probably even wider than that. But we'll go with ninety. Let's go with ninety eight and two. So ninety eight percent of your entire existence was utilizing your soft skills. Two percent utilizing your hard skills. Well, do you think from here going forward those percentages will change? Probably not. No. So that's Anything why reduce. you see folks that are drawn to the hard skills because hey, I want to know how to do this and how to sure. Do you need to know how to use the lifeboat? Yes. But would it not be a bad idea to get yourself some training and at least do some research, you know, go online, read a book, uh, take an online class, something along those lines to uh, in the area of awareness-based training. So, so the answer is a you. lot of sense. You know, especially, I'm convinced the way you, you put it in perspective like that. I'm like, you know what? I do use these skills all the time. You know, and then and then to answer your question on the other from the other perspective, we talked about the first one being operational. Second one is educational. So I teach, as you know, I used to teach around the world. I was global, and then I, over the years, I, I now do mostly CONUS. And uh, I t- teach in a lot of ranges across the country and, and different schools and e- even corporate programs and stuff like that. And I, and I probably have run into tens of thousands of folks over the f- nearly four decades I've been in. Uh, I would say my, my gamut was, uh, it was and is uh, from, from SOCOM to soccer moms and everybody in between, which is a huge disparity, you know, in, in that range. And from that range of, of SOCOM to soccer moms, uh, I, I received numerous questions um, about, hey, um, you know, I was in this altercation. And, and that's invariably why they're at that training to gain those skills is because they were in a situation. And so I heard the same situation again and again and again, thousands and thousands of times, same questions. And so in addition to answering them, for those folks at those events, I also wrote a couple of books that provided those exact same answers to those same questions. And believe it or not, very, very few of them were hard skills related. Most of them were soft skills related. And and I can even give you an incident. One of my students on the West Coast, um, he was involved, a uh, civilian involved in a uh, mugging. There he was up against the wall and uh, in a nasty situation. And he was fully armed, very highly trained, very highly skilled. He could have solved the problem going to his lifeboat. Uh, He was very good and uh, had a good backstop. It was a good shoot. However, he was in a situation where he thought he had the wherewithal to think about this. He goes, wait a minute, I can solve this problem with my gun and, and had every right to because it was a, a justifiable use of force. However, he thought a few steps ahead. He goes, wait a minute, here I am in California. I have a CCW, which is very difficult to get in the county that he lives in. If he was involved in this shooting, even though it's justifiable, he may be you know criminally checked off a good shoot. But then he's got to deal with civil, which means three to five years of hearings and and all kinds of legal issues and minimally somewhere between $100,000 and $150,000 because it was a good shoot. So he thought about, do I want to spend a half a decade of my life and about $150,000 on something that I could solve the problem another way? And he used his verbal skills, just literally threw his wallet at the guy's feet and walked away. I mean, I we say all the time about you know that when you when you carry a gun, the responsibility comes on. And a lot of there, there's people out there who who hope today is the day. Today is the day they get to use their gun. And I just I, that's just the scariest thing to me that that we have people who think of themselves as responsible armed citizens who are hoping today is the day that I get to, to use my handgun in self-defense and be on, you know, world star hip hop or live Um, it's just, it, 
it, it indicates a a very large lack of forethought and critical thinking, and uh, I think it's a scary thing. But this guy dodged a, a a lot of a lot of stuff there. Do you do you have a is that what you wrote the book on? And guys out there listening, when Steve says that he wrote a couple of books, uh, what I read online was he has nine books. Right? Mm-hmm. Is that accurate, Steve? That is that is the um, <laughs> the last the last two prefense uh, preventive defense and um, your most powerful weapon. How to use your mind to stay safe. Let's talk about that a minute, right there. How do I use my mind to stay safe? <laughs> okay, good. A very good question. I would recommend reading the book. <laughs> I feel that you might know something about the subject, and I. I I, I have something. That, let me preface this. I have something that we talk about on here all the time. Me and Varg, my my co-host, um, we talk about the importance of of our own self control, and and concealment, and not just uh, concealing a firearm like a lot of folks think of it out there, but you know, concealing intentions, concealing capabilities, concealing what we want to conceal, and projecting what we want to project, and um, and then maybe creating some time and, and space to, to use our mind to make better decisions and be so good at all the fundamentals that our mind is free to think tactics and make decisions and use these soft skills. I, I agree. I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, you know, there are so many examples that come to mind, but uh, uh, let, me, uh, let me provide you with one that's very common, especially in the world of law enforcement. I, I, I work a lot with uh, the various uh, sheriff's uh, offices and um, police departments across the U.S., uh, civilian law enforcement. <clears throat> and um, I, uh, I, get this, uh, I get this a lot because it's an interesting question, and I'm, I'm sure, Daniel, that you may, you may share my my feeling of value when I, when I hear the response to this. So, uh, numerous officer involved shootings, um, that, uh, I've had the opportunity uh, when I teach on the ranges, I ask these guys, Hey, what happens? A lot of them still have the video. So we review the video and all this. And, uh, what intrigues me the most about what you just said, as it applies in the field uh, I don't care if you're civilian, law enforcement, DOD, fill in the blank. Humans are humans. And mm-hmm. uh, let me give you a real world. So one of, uh, well, this applies to many of the officers I, I interviewed and have uh, worked with, provided training services for. So <clears throat> uh, some of these guys are, uh, you know, as you know, as within any community, some guys train more than others, Right. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, these are the more well-trained guys spend quite, spend quite a bit of time of their uh, on-duty and off-duty, uh, mostly off-duty, um, to uh, develop their skills, both hard skills and soft skills. And like you said, they keep their hard skills uh, to themselves. They keep their soft skills to themselves. They don't let on to what they know or how, how well-skilled they are. So, uh Typical incident, this uh, this one sticks out in my mind over the years where he was involved in a uh, very violent altercation and uh, they had to go to gun. This was a carbine scenario. And um, uh, later on, and they, they captured the guy without a shot. Later on, when they interviewed the the bad guy, they said, why did you not engage the officer? You had every opportunity. In fact, you had the drop on him. Why did you not engage the officer? And here's the answer that makes me smile deep down inside from ear to ear. It's because I could sense he knew something. I could tell. I could tell this guy was trained and I didn't want to die that day. So they just know. They're not the sharpest tools in the shed, but they can tell by the way you look, by the by the way you stand, by the way you hold yourself, that you have a greater level of training than them. Now let's look at it from the bad guy's perspective. Bad guys are bad guys. They go for lower hanging fruit. Uh, for our listeners, you know, uh, you could, uh, you could imagine yourself in a situation where the bad guy's looking for potential targets. So what does he look for? He looks for, um, someone that appears to be weak or that appears to be alone or that appears to be unaware. You can be any one of those three, weak, alone, or unaware, any one. 
but all three together, weak, unaware, and alone, that's that's a, an indicator to them that, hey, this is a potentially soft target. So they're drawn to, and they lean toward, and they reach for the lower-hanging fruit. When they get a sense, or when they look at you a little closer to verify, hey, is this my best target? And they realize that, okay, when I'm going to look at you a little bit closer... In my experience, they're using um, some kind of probing tactic, maybe an approach or asking for something or something, or are you just saying strictly observation? It, it could, it, regardless of the methodology, whether it is observation or whether they begin a conversation, where at some point, at some point in their process, um, let me just take one step back to the attack cycle, which I'm sure you're very aware of. You know, they have to look, they, they can't just, you know, appear out of nowhere. They got to look for their, their target. Uh, then they have to choose a target. And then after they make their choice, yeah, those two guys look pretty good. Maybe those three guys look pretty good. Uh, then they have to verify the next step in the attack cycle is to verify, is this the best target or which one is the best? Then once they decide, okay, yeah, this person, then they close in, which may involve conversation, approach, whatever. And then lastly, they attack. So those are the five steps of the attack cycle. What we're talking about is at the very beginning of that cycle when they're in choose slash verify mode and uh, they have to make their selection. They have to. They just, you know, they can't just randomly pick somebody. They, they, they have to make a choice. So when they make their choice and they're verifying their choice, that's when they make a determination. Is this my target? And that's when they have to make the realization that A, this guy's, you know, an easy target, or B, he's a, a hard target. And I know you're familiar with the term. So we, we focus on, to answer your question about the book, how do you make a hard target? How do you become a hard target? And that's the, that's the whole focus on the book of how do you use your mind to stay safe? You lift weights and flip tires, right? <laughs> on the hard skills side, yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, for, you're right, though. There, conditioning is an aspect on the hard skill side. Yes, for sure. Uh, but uh, on the soft skill side, pertaining to what you had mentioned earlier about having the knowledge, having the skill, having the background, having all those tools in your toolkit, and having the bad guy sense that and realize, hey, I could get hurt here. This is a pretty high price tag. I don't think I want to pay that price. And they move on to the next guy. So, oh yeah, uh, you know, I was being facetious a second ago, Steve, when I was uh, making the joke about flipping tires, is because you know our our this industry, especially in the training side, and you know the more Instagrammy it gets and and Facebooky and and all that, and you know these celebrities who who do stuff fast, but maybe not always have all the skills and knowledge surrounding the why uh, and when and where. Um, they uh, and I'm not saying that I have all of that. You know, I'm on a quest for it, right? And the, uh, but the, there's there's very little emphasis out there on the the soft skills because it's just not this glamorous thing. But you know, one of the things that I like to talk about is I those soft skills will affect every part of your life in a positive way. You know, like even if you're at a barbecue and and the kids choking, you know, out there in the field playing or. Um, you know, whether it, driving a car, every single aspect of your life, you know, coming home and being a good husband, being a good father, whatever, like those soft skills carry over to every part of your life and they can begin changing your life for the better. Uh, but we still put all this emphasis on, on how fast I can get a gun from the high ready onto the target and shoot a, a four, four, seven, six, two drill. I made that up because there's like a new drill every day. I don't know what the, the drill of the week is. Are we still shooting B8 targets from 25 yards and posting pictures? I'm, I'm not sure where we're at. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's uh, you have a very solid point there, Daniel, and that is that it is applicable. It's not just applicable in the street. You know, imagine a person who has high high level awareness versus a person who you know uh, a rock ape primate that has no clue. You know, and think about that person. Uh, you know, anywhere, in a, in a, just in a regular having a job, having a family. You know, yeah, inter interacting sure. socially. I mean, you know, look at it from that perspective. Would you would you rather be associated with uh, McGill or the gorilla or somebody who, you know, has a higher level of communication and ability uh, to observe and communicate as a human? 
You know, have just, you ever talked to anybody who just isn't listening to you? Oh yeah, yeah. We we all have. And just and they, yeah, and they're just waiting to say that thing that they say, you know. And how can I fit this statement in somewhere in this conversation? Um, you know that that observation is, and that's part of communication. It's like sending and receiving and processing messages and all that stuff. And uh, that's it's observation. You know, I'm I'm looking at body language while I'm talking to this person. I'm trying to see what they really mean when they're saying these things. And it, it makes you a better conversationalist. Uh, I, I think it makes you a better friend. It makes you better at making friends, or at least maybe talking down an enemy in some cases. Yeah, it puts you, in, I think it puts you in a, a more advantageous position, as you said, just in life, you know, looking at someone, you know, being able to make eye contact, for for example. I I was observing maybe, uh, I don't know, six months ago, I'm at this restaurant uh, with a buddy of mine, and uh, we see this couple walk in, and uh, the two of them are plastered to their cell phones the second they walk through the front door. And never took their eyes and fingers off their phones when they sat down, ordered from the food server, and, and ate all without a word, all plugged into their phone like they're in another world, which in reality you are. You're plugged in into that uh, communications link. So what, what kind of interaction did they have with their environment? Zero. So if you have no interaction, not even the awareness of your own environment, uh, does that make you more or less vulnerable to a, a potential predator? I, I wanted to give somebody, you know, I tell people all the time that, you know, when classes, you know, a good day at the range. It's funny. I say the same thing you do, except I don't say SOCOM. I say SWAT cops to soccer moms. Uh, classes for everybody. You know? and, <laughs> That's cool. Uh, the, uh, but I use the same term, the soccer moms. I don't, people don't use that as much anymore. So I, I think we get looked at funny, you know, back in the – the nineties and early two thousands, everybody knew what a soccer mom was. Now it's kind of a, that the phrase seems to have went out in, in fashion for some reason, uh, probably be offending somebody really soon by saying it, who knows. But, um, the, the way, um, I try to increase people's capabilities, you know, out there on the range and, and a good day at the range is, is knowing some things that I need to work on that, like, you know, I really struggled with these few things and, and this is my homework. I'm going to, I'm going to go back and tighten these things up. I'm not just going to go to the range and practice the things that make me feel good that I'm good at. I'm going to work on these things that I've been struggling with. Um, so given the listeners out there, you know, and myself, I'm curious too, you know, what would be um, Steve Tarani's, you know, top five soft skills that I should be looking at training and, and reading about and learning more about and practicing on a daily basis so I can, basis so I can hone those skills. And you don't have to get five, just give me some good ones. Okay. Well, uh, let's go back to something you said right at the very beginning of this. I want to work on something that, uh, that I need to work on. So there is a, the, it all starts, as you know, at the higher levels of training, all the hard skills. It's, it's the, the level of control you have to have with your weapon system, whether it's a firearm, an edged weapon, impact weapon, flexible weapon, whatever, fill in the, fill in the blank. The level of control with that weapon is one thing. But prior to that, the level of control you have to have really starts between the earmuffs. At a very high level, you know this as a trainer, very high level of skill is all mental. It all starts in the brain box. You have to learn to control that at some point. You can only reach a certain level of skill without starting to control what's between the earmuffs. And that is the start point to get yourself on the range and to even know that, hey, you know, you have to make the admit, and I do this all the time. I really suck at this drill. You have to admit to yourself that you suck at it. You're just not good enough. You don't have the skill level. Otherwise, if you don't make that <laughs> realization, personal realization, then Where's your motivation? Where does the discipline, where does the commitment, where does all that come from if you don't realize that there's a need to work on something that you may not have even been aware of? Right? So that's first. One is, you know what? I don't know what I don't know. Making that admission. A lot of people can't do that. Like you said, they're waiting for you to stop flapping your lips so they can tell you what they were there to tell you about in that conversation. So... 
It starts there. Number one, make the realization that, hey, do I have, not, not all of us are an expert in everything out there, you know? What is it that I need to work on that I, that I have a lack of skill in this area and, and I need to, and I need to put time in on that. Second is, I would say to, again, on the, on the side of realization, personal realization, look at those percentages we, we spoke about earlier in our conversation. You know, it's 98 to two. And that's if you're involved in, in, in military or law enforcement activity. So 98% to 2%, you know, realize that, hey, you know, there is value here in my soft skills. And it does make me not only a harder target, but a better person and be able to get through my day to day a little bit easier, you know, <clears throat> and having that, uh, having that realization, the 98 to the 2%. And then thirdly is, um, it all starts with, uh, the, uh, proactive measures, uh, Sun Tzu, who everybody's familiar with, you know, he says the value of winning a battle without stepping on the battlefield. You know, there's, there's nothing more valuable than that. You win a fight without having to even fight. And so that starts again between the earmuffs is having that awareness and the number one tactic or technique, uh, what they call the granddaddy of all proactive measures is situational awareness. So most people think, okay, situational awareness, what is it? So, Daniel, you tell me, what would you say of all of our listeners, if we asked that question, what is situational awareness? What do you believe the answer would be? I, I could tell you what I hear from students all the time. Um, and I'm back up just a hair before I answer that. You know, you just talked about Sun Tzu. And, um, and then before you mentioned him, you, you talked about understanding your own capabilities. And um, that's something that all those great warrior philosophies talk about Musashi, Sun Tzu, you know, through the, since the, the dawn of, of writing uh, is knowing yourself and being real about that. And uh, that, that, that's something that has never died for a warrior or a defender yeah. out there. Never will. Whatever. Never will. Yep. Because that's, that's the way it is. <laughs> that's, that's, we, there's, there's no uh, getting around it. Uh, but, you know, what is a situation where I would say that um, what I hear the most is, oh, when you go to a restaurant, you know where the exits are. You know, um, they they often describe it as a scenario, you know, to give a, a situation, you know, paying attention to what's wrong, what's around you, not having your head in your phone, you know, looking around, head on a swivel, uh, that kind of thing. Good. And that's what I run into as well over nearly 40 years. Same response, same thing. So I'd like to delve a little bit, if we have a few more minutes, to delve a little bit deeper into that. If uh, got all the day for you to delve as deep okay. as you want to go. <laughs> so, so yes, uh, uh, it's good that uh, most folks think, yeah, you know what? I should, I should look around my environment. But I, I'd like to quote um, a famous author, Henry David Thoreau, uh, middle of the 19th century, his famous quote that directly applies to the effectiveness of situational awareness is it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. It's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. So let me give you an example. How many times have you looked down or anyone, how many times have you looked down at your watch to see what time it is and you did it again a second time or even a third time? Yes, you put your eyeballs on it the first time you looked right at it, but you didn't see it. You were not mentally engaged no. with it. You know, has that ever happened to you or you notice anyone ever do that? Oh, absolutely. Just didn't process it. Didn't finish it. All right. Do you, you know, same thing like driving home from work. You know, you, you drive past the same exit or street sign you do every day and you drive right past it because you're you're looking at it. Your eyeballs are on it, but you were not mentally engaged with it. So that's the part that Henry David Thoreau was talking about. Sure, you can look at something, but you can never see it. When a protective agent walks into a room, they see about 120 things. A person who's untrained looks at everything but doesn't see a thing, maybe one or two, right? So there's a difference between looking at something, eyes on, and there's a difference between seeing it. You have to have that mental interaction with your environment. That has to be there for a situation, situational awareness to work at its highest level. So that's number one. 
situational awareness is a tool in the toolkit, like we always talk about. But it's one of the most useful in the granddaddy, I always use that term because it is, of all proactive measures. It can be used as a deterrent. It can be used to solve many problems. I'll give you an example as a deterrent. So we were on assignment overseas, and uh, we, there was four of us in a vehicle. <clears throat> we arrive at our location. We get out of the vehicle, and all four of us turn because we all got the same spidey sense. We all turned to the left and looked far across the street at this structure, and there was a bunch of guys out front of there looking at us. And you could just tell something was going to go down. So they're looking at us, and then when we turn to look at them, they saw us looking at them and that we're aware that something's going to go down. Just by that one activity, we took away, it was a deterrent, we took away their element of surprise and uh, solved the problem. So it's a very useful tool as a deterrent. Situational awareness. Awareness in itself is the currency that buys you time to solve the tactical problem. Let me give you that to you again. Situational awareness. Awareness is the currency that buys you time to solve the tactical problem. Without that currency, you cannot buy the time you need to solve the problem. So I, w- I would put that out there as a useful uh, golden nugget of information. And that is, like you said, come to the realization, hey, I need some work in this area. I'm lacking here. Come to the- It's perfectly healthy. In fact, some of the best shooters in the world come to the realization, hey, I, I suck at this. And whatever that is, X, figure it out. I need to work on that. Does that make you a better shooter? Yes. How are you going to find your weaknesses if you don't first realize them and then identify them? Next is realize, hey, how am I going to use this? Where am I going to use this? If it's some esoteric skill that you'll never be in between that 98 and 2%, then, you know, why spend time on it? I mean, unless it's a hobby, you know, but if you're considering applying this to real world application, it has to be something useful that, that, that would, would come into that 98%. And then lastly, identifying what is situational awareness and not just turning your head to the left and to the right, but engaging your mind and your environment, utilizing it as a tool to buy you time. Can you put that into perspective? Let's say you and I, um, and I'll preface this a little bit for the audience that may not know this, but uh, you know, you've protected some, some pretty high level people. Uh, if I understand what I read correctly, you were involved in protecting President Trump before his election uh, during the campaign. Um, and so, I, and I know you know guys are doing they're doing their their pre plans, they're, they're doing their routes, they're they're checking stuff, they're doing their advance, they're they're doing a, a lot of different things on on different sites. Let's say. Let's say you and I went to lunch today, um, went to the barbecue joint down the road here in Texas, because that's what you do when somebody comes to Texas to see you, you take them to barbecue. Um, you know, we're, we're probably not going to be looking at the same things. You know, I'm familiar with this area. Um, I've been in here multiple times. You're, you're kind of new to everything. You know, what, what is your thought process or mind? I mean, this is obviously in a restaurant, right? Like it's not a um, non-permissive environment. You know, there's, there's not uh, tons of crime in the area where this restaurant is. But when you say that when people walk into a restaurant and they're looking at things, but they're not seeing them, you know, what are you trying to see and fully process, you know, when you enter a new environment? <clears throat> Uh, the, the application changes when you're alone or if you're there with someone. So I'm just assuming that we're there protect in a protection environment, you know, where we have a protectee with us, something along those lines. So for example, a protectee. My son's with me and he, I'm always his protectee. There we go. So your protectee is your, yeah, it could be your spouse, could be your relative, your family, your children, grandchildren. Um, but, um, you're with your son. So that's your protectee. Very good. And, uh, you know, knowing, okay, where are we going to go? A couple of things I would check before we even go are, you know, I look it up on the internet. You know, what is, where is this? Where is it? First of all, find your physical location. Know where it is. You know, what's going on there? You know, uh, have, have there been protests? Is it a high crime area? You know, I'd like to learn a little bit more about where we're going, you know, and I might ask you, Hey, Daniel, uh, you know, should we be packing some heavy metal or, you know, what's the situation? 
because uh, you're familiar, you got eyes on, you know, you, you have the, the good in the day to day real time intel. So, uh, is it raining? What's the weather? What time of day is it? Is it nighttime, daytime? You know, what, you know, just, just the basics about the location. Uh, that will be considered, uh, parallel to an advance, so to speak. Then we get there. And, uh, you know, should it hit the fan? I mean, you want to know your area. Everybody says, you know, know where your exits are. Yes, but you can create exits too. Uh, if you had to, you know, break a window, you know, go through through a, a door that isn't supposed to be open, that kind of stuff, you know, you can do that. But what, I hear this all the time. Well, I learned to put my back against the wall. Uh, okay, you know, I guess that's a good thing, provided that it gives you optimal field of vision. You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a posi- position of visual dominance where you can see as much as you can see, especially coming through the door, which is most likely where anything bad's going to happen, you know, but then what about after that, you know, uh, start, start to think about what would happen. Okay. Let's say there is three, three guys that, that blast their way through the front door and, and they, they start sending rounds downrange. Then, then what? Okay, good. You got your back against the wall. You haven't, you haven't really thought a little bit further past that. So here's some recommendations, you know, while you're figuring that out, you're walking in, there's the front door, there's the back door, or there's the kitchen, by law, most states require there to be a door, an exit door on every kitchen in those types of places. So there has to be an exit door. So you realize, okay, maybe I'd sit a little closer to the kitchen or something like that, you know, in that situation. And then uh, how do I get there? I don't, I'm not just going to stand up and walk to the kitchen. You like the kitchen exit. You like the kitchen exit better than you like the regular exit, don't you? Because it's, it's unexpected. I do because it's, it's you know, well, think about, think about what are, think would be an exit. Think about what are the odds are on a regular street front property of someone walking in causing harm is if you look at it historically is usually through the door, usually. So that front door may not be the way out because they may have, uh, they may have, you know, taking control of that, uh, of that, uh, fatal funnel. So, uh, you know, just, it may be an eye, who knows, maybe the, maybe the, maybe that, 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 those three guys, uh, you know, sending, sending lead into the air, maybe they move away from the front door, who knows, but I want you to have at least another option. It's all about keeping your options open. Okay. So you've identified kitchen door, you've identified exit uh, through the kitchen door, but how do you get from your back against the wall with your son to that kitchen door? Well, uh, there's a couple ways to do it. Just get up and run, which is, you know, that's a positive. A moving target is much more difficult to hit than uh, than a, than a non-moving target. However, you may want to use some cover on the way, or um, at least concealment. Get behind something, make it difficult for them to hit hit a lethal strike zone. Um, so identifying exits, knowing what your direction is, knowing that you have less than two seconds on the X. You've got to move. You've got less than two seconds to get out of there, get from a very bad situation to a better situation, identify cover, identify concealment, identify direction of movement, identify line of demarcation. Hey, if I can make it this far, I can use that piece of cover. So I think you're kind of getting the idea here of all this mental gymnastics that can go on while you're smiling in the middle of a conversation, having a cup of coffee. Yep, absolutely. You know, I'm even thinking about... uh the position of my son in the seat. So whenever I scoop him up, because, you know, he's not going to run as fast as me, that I'm protecting him with my body. So he at least has a little bit of cover, you know, as we're moving. And if he's on the other side, that might be more difficult. So just, I mean, some people might look at this kind of stuff and think, oh, you're just hypervigilant or that's just overly paranoid. Um, You know, when I get to the range and we're about to start a class, I have a safety brief and I go through my safety rules and then I, I have an, I brief an emergency plan and I give everybody a job to do in case somebody were hurt. You probably do the same yes, thing. Sir. Most good trainers out there yep, do yep, that yep. because we don't want to be making it up as we go. Right. When adrenaline is pumping, when blood is coming out of somebody's body, right. that's not the time to come up with a plan. You know, we have all this opportunity beforehand to come up with a plan. So we, we have at least a 90% plan in place. You know, we're ready to be flexible, you know, if we need to be based on what happens, but we have somewhat of a plan in place, you know, no matter what's going on. And I think the same thing is out there in life. You know, I'm, I'm, I said, I don't have any experience in close protection. I don't have any real training in it, you know, other than reading and, and talking to gentlemen like you who, who know this craft very well. Um, but, uh, and it, I, I'm the protector for my family, you know, and, and my wife is, uh, is the next in line. 
protector, you know, she often carries. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much always carrying. And the, um, but this is, this is important for me. I think it should be important for the listeners out there because you may not be protecting uh, President Trump or anything, but, uh, you know, you're protecting somebody who is really probably much more valuable to you than President Trump. Yeah, so you, you've got you to have, uh, you know, you make a good point about having a plan A. You can't have plan B. You can't have that flexibility unless you've got something in place. You know, at least 80 to 90% of the problem solved ahead of time. You know, what causes, I get this question a lot. Hey, I'm afraid that I've got all this training. I've got this, I've got that. But I feel like, I, I, I mean, I might freeze in this situation. You know, I get a lot. I get a lot of that from my students. Is I might freeze. I think that's very realistic. That's. I mean, that, that's. I, I love what, when somebody has that attitude. Yep. Because I think they're being very real about themselves. They are. They are. These are people. You know, they're introspective. They're coming to that. Remember we talked about that realization. You got to know what you don't know. You got to know that you don't know what you don't know. That kind of stuff. And so coming to that realization. Hey, you know what? I might freeze here. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm I've never been in a situation like that. What happens if I freeze? Well, um, this is one of the chapters in my book, um, Your Most Powerful Weapon, goes into what are some proactive and active measures and reactive measures you can utilize to defeat your own fear. Um, but anyways, I'll give you a little piece of that. I'm reading this book. <laughs> I, I talk about the same thing, and I'm wondering how close it is. I'm, I'm going to get this book today. Like that. That's super, I, I've never heard anybody else talk about this, Steve. I mean, that this is why I'm 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 stoked about this right now, because people look at me like I'm crazy sometimes. I'll be in front of a bunch of SWAT cops, and I, and I'll tell. And some of them have, have have seen some pretty serious action in the military or on duty, yeah. and some of them have have used force, you know, used their their firearms, um, but then some of them haven't. And then I get a lot of regular armed citizens who haven't. And I tell people all the time, and it, people look at me crazy. And there's other some some super macho guys that are always got cigars and you know talking about their bourbon or whatever. That's the big deal and beards in the gun world. Uh, and we're too tough for any of that stuff. But there was never a single time when a fight kicked off, when guns started flying, when an RPG whizzed by, bullet cracked overhead, artillery, rockets, mortars were coming in. That the first thought that entered my body was always self-preservation. How do I survive? What is my most survivable course of action? What is my most survivable location to be in? What is my most survivable position to be in? And then I had to suppress that because I had Marines relying on me to make good decisions and to keep them safe. Uh, I, I, it, I've experienced it enough times to know that if I'm at the mall with my wife and my son and, and somebody starts shooting guns and, and hurting people right there in front of me, my first thought, my, my first instinct, maybe even subconscious without thought, I'm going, I'm going to go ahead and expect it to be Daniel Shaw, you alone must live. And I have to suppress that immediately. And I have to, to go back to my priority of life. My, my wife and son are much more important than me. And I have to make a mental shift there instantly. And it happens quickly. Um, but I, I, I believe that is present a lot because we're hardwired to stay alive. You get it. In a lot of ways. You, you probably know much more about this, can speak much smarter than I can. No, it's a very good point, very valid. And, uh, you know, I don't care who you are. Like you said, I mean, I've, I've worked with some of the strongest of the apes in the jungle. And, uh, you know, they are hard, hard, hard guys. But, you know, in any situation, there comes a point where you've uh, you, you face that reality, you know. And um, like anything else... Uh, you know, there is a, there's a, there is a counter for every, for every move, you know, like as in, uh, with tactics, there's a counter to every movement with, uh, you know, chess, boxing, fill in the blank. There's a counter for every move. For every overhand, there's an uppercut. For every hook, there's a cross, stuff like that. So, so the same thing occurs with fear, personal fear. Would I freeze? Let's say I'm one of these guys who's never had a gun pointed at you. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm John Q. Citizen, never had a gun pointed at me, never had an RPG pointed at me, was never in a, in a, in a real world altercation where, where, uh, I've become desensitized to that a little bit. So those are the folks that usually, Hey man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm not only afraid for myself, but I'm afraid for my family. Here's my son who is relying on me for, you know, to be the protective agent of my family and I freeze. How do I deal with that proactively? So here's the answer to that question. We as humans, when faced with real world threat, you know, that, that, uh, that, uh, survival instinct kicks in. 
And for a little bit, I don't know the exact measurement. Everybody's different, of course. There are three things that impact what happens next. And that is the mind has to process the information that it receives. You cannot make a decision without information, right? You have to have information to make a decision. So the mind races and it it hits three things. Is this new? Is this unfamiliar? Is this threatening? If something is new, something is unfamiliar and something is threatening, those are three things that cause the brain to just spin in its tracks to try and figure it out. However, if you've done some training and you've been in, you know, force on force, blue gun, uh, simunition, something along those lines. So then this situation is no longer new. So you take one third of that power away. One, one third of the power of freeze away. And then, you know what? I've done a few drills. I've done this a bunch. In fact, I've been to a bunch of classes. It's no longer unfamiliar. So, yeah, there's nothing you can do about the threatening part because it is. Now you're like, okay, this is what it looks like. Exactly. I get it. So your brain has something to go to. It's got a file in there. Oh, okay, that's what that is. So it's no longer new. It's no longer unfamiliar. You just removed mm-hmm. two-thirds of the teeth of fear. There's nothing we can do about the threatening part because, yeah, it's a real-world threat. It's an altercation that can that can raise your scale of injury. However, of the three, new, unfamiliar, and threatening, you can remove two of them and eliminate two-thirds of that potential to freeze in fear. And you just described, in some ways, planning right there because you were planning beforehand. You were getting the training. You were uh, doing the, for lack of a better term, tactical decision games, you know, as you or in that environment, you know, you're so when something does happen, you know, you've removed surprise, you remove that newness because you, at some level you've anticipated it. No, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I it should help a lot just having a plan in place. Yeah, and so what's your brain? So, for example, going into the restaurant you had mentioned earlier, you're there with your son and you look at okay, there's the front, there's the back, here's my cover, here's where I'm going to move, here's how I'm going to do that. I'm going to keep him in front of me, so I'm between. Uh, I'm I'm setting up a screen between him and the threat using myself as a as a as a barrier, etc. And so, just by going through those thoughts alone, uh, it's it's no longer new to you because you're applying it to your immediate environment, and you run through that plan. Okay, what about Plan B? You know. So, anyways, your mind is is seeing this because you're creating it subconsciously or in your mind. It's no longer new. It's no longer unfamiliar. So that if something did happen, you're not, you're not standing there with, you know, your mouth open like a, like a chicken looking at a new card trick, you know? Yeah. You've, uh, you've even mentally rehearsed in some way. Yes. Yes. That, 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 uh, uh, that, that cognitive exercise you know, visually, mentally, visually, mental visualization is is the is the same as you gain that same value as you do with training. Now, training is better because you have more time. Maybe I'm just making this up. You spend a day at a workshop or a weekend or whatever at a training that's going to provide you greater value. But uh, you can't take away from the value of that uh, that mental visualization to prepare your mind to remove the newness, to remove the unfamiliarity, and uh, to give yourself the tactical advantage. How can, how can people work on those, those soft skills, the, the planning, um, understanding their, their own selves and capabilities? Um, you know, you got into, you mentioned verbal judo earlier, you know, and you don't have to talk about specifics, but, you know, is it, is it books? Is it YouTube? Is it courses like the ones that you offer? And a, a recent guest uh, last week, or uh, the podcast will be out, I think, today or tomorrow, uh, Ed Calderon, who teaches a lot of soft skills um, and in some classes that he does. The, uh, where, where do people gain this knowledge and skills? Well, more and more, you know, you know, you and I have been teaching the whole soft skills thing for, for decades. Uh, and it's been around, you know, since the days of Sun Tzu. But only now, more recently, have people realized the true value of it and how critically important it is and that it, it's, it's applicable 98% of the time, minimally. Uh, once you come to realize that value, you know, I want to learn more about it. Even myself, I mean, I'm a, 
I'm, I do, I've been doing this for a living forever. And I still try and go out and, and not only find uh, current and relevant training, but I also look at it historically, you know, reading as much as I can on the subject, you know, historically, because what is true in combat 1500 years ago is true today. The only thing that's changed is technology, you know? So, yeah, as far as the humans concerned, absolutely the same. There's no difference, right? So you have single attacker, multiple attackers, you know, think back uh, to the days when, you know, was everything was tribal. There you are with your tribe and you're surrounded by danger at all times. You got, you know, man-eating tigers and you know, warring tribes and all every, everything and everyone's trying to kill you, right? So, you know, that's not so much the case today, but the same feelings, the same human emotions, the same human concerns you know, you don't think the early cavemen's felt the same way about their son as you do about yours? Of course, it's the same. You know, different different environment, different, uh, you know, so, so society, uh, different weapons, different options, but everything is pretty much the same. Newness, unfamiliarity, and threatening applied the same then thousands of years ago as it does to this very day. So, so to answer the question, I would not limit it to... Um, you know, current, uh, current, uh, programs and training that's out there, but there's been a lot written on it and, uh, you can find it in the works of Musashi, you know, the five rings or Sun Tzu, the art of war. These are mandatory reading assignments in any military academy around the world and, uh, and, uh, holds the same value as it does today. So there's historical reference. There's also contemporary reference. You can, there's all kinds of things online. There's online courses. There are uh, plenty of articles, plenty of uh, digital magazines that you can look this up in and, and, uh, and, and, uh, has very good information from, from, uh, folks like, uh, like yourself that have been in this for so long and, and that have, uh, have the ability to provide that information, uh, to make it easily assimil- assimilatable. Um, and then, uh, seek out the courses, go to a daily, there's a you know, couple of workshops you can go to, uh, a lot of uh, ranges now offer similar classes. Um, I think the NRA, uh, don't be a victim. Um, you know, you can, you can find them all over them. They're all over them. It's actually not a bad course either. Uh, I've, I've been an NRA instructor for, I don't know, 10 years. And I, I don't tell people that because it just helps me get insurance sometimes. But um, the "Don't Be a Victim" program is is not bad, not a bad program at all, and I, it's not used very much compared to the other ones from what I see. Right. So it's out. This to, to answer the question, Daniel. There's plenty out there. It's just that we go back to the earliest part of our conversation, coming to the realization. You know what? I don't have all the answers. And yeah, if I need to use the lifeboats on the Titanic, I sure do need to know how to how to use them. But wouldn't it be a better idea to look for an iceberg? And if you see an iceberg, drive around it. Steve, I think we're at about an hour right now. Um, you know, I there's a lot of things that, that what you do, and you know, and I appreciate the um, the the kind words. You know, to, speaking as if uh, I'm up here. You got about 20 years on me doing this, um, so you're you're a bit a bit ahead of me, or at least 18. Um, but I. My co-host, Varg, just wrote a new book, and uh, his first book was really popular, Violence of Mind. Varg was involved in a, a stabbing incident as a teenager and was locked up for five years and got out, got his rights restored federally and, and all that good stuff, can own firearms, pass a 4473 background check, next check, all that good stuff. Um, but he has a very unique perspective on the bad guys uh, or violent criminals because he grew up in it from the day he was born until he got away from it after getting out of prison. And now, you know, he teaches law enforcement officers, speaks at SWAT conferences, and um, writes these really, really um, raw, uh, it's probably a good way to put it, but very well thought out with experiential and academic uh, evidence books. And his new one is uh, titled Beyond Uda. And um, I'll, I'll have to have, I'll tell him that if I can get your address, I'll send you one. Because the things we talked about, I'd, I'd be really interested in in you reading that that book and then us coming on and, and having a conversation because I think your your expertise and your your knowledge base 
I, I just think there'd be something very enlightening out there for the litner, listeners. Um, a lot of the, he doesn't really talk about the whole Buddha concept, you know, as, as Boyd presented it, um, but just focuses on the orientation part. You know, a lot of folks out there say the bad guys don't think like you and I. Uh, they, they're wired differently, and Varg argues that they they do. They think the exact same way. They they solve problems the same way. They they do all these things the same way. They're humans just like we are. They just have a different orientation, a different value system, uh, a different thing that they hold in higher esteem than uh, somebody else's safety or the people around them. You know, the the glamorousness of of being the craziest and most dangerous person. You know that kind of thing. So there's a, a lot of things in their orientation that are just completely different than you know the person that we would consider being a good guy's orientation. And uh, I, I just anticipate some really good conversation there. If that's something that you'd be interested in in the future. Sure, yeah, I'd take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah, because I, 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 there's some things that you've said uh, were, were kind of echoing him, and then I, I can't put my finger on it, but there may have been a couple of things that um, – that didn't sound like they totally aligned with his view. And, you know, that's my favorite is whenever I'm talking to a guest and, you know, th- th- sometimes people change, but the guest changed my mind. Like I thought I knew this stuff. Steve, I, I thought I knew so many things in my whole life. I don't know if you've been the same as me. Oh, but yeah. I, I, I thought I taught things that was so right that it was the best thing ever. Like there's no way there's anything better than this. This is the, the right thing and I'm doing the best. And yeah. I, I taught it with such fervor, you know, and, uh, yeah only to realize later on that I was wrong about right. everything. Right. You know, so I kind of approach everything now realizing that, you know, I tell people now in class, like, hey, look, I'm the most right I've ever been, but I've, I've been so, I've been wrong so many times in my life. I'm probably wrong about something that I'm teaching today. Yeah. And yeah. it's, uh, but I, I'm, I'm going to do my best to fix that, you know, as soon as I can, when that new information comes yeah. available. So it's, uh, that's my favorite whenever, whenever somebody changes my mind or, you know, we don't totally agree and I get to listen to a new perspective and I'm always learning something new. And that's awesome. Yeah. You know, trying to keep that open mind to be the eternal student, you know, the day you sit back and go, Hey, I know everything there is to know is when you stop learning. Yeah. Some people look at me like, Oh, they ask me all these questions. I'm like, I don't know that. And especially if it's a gun question, like, I don't know what the barrel's made of. That's not my right. thing. Like that, that, the guns like that doesn't really matter to me. Um, and people are like, oh, I thought you do this. I'm like, well, I, I do, but like that's that's not in my my priorities of, of things that I I care the most about. And maybe some of those should be. Maybe I am right in some ways for that not to be. I I don't I don't know. All I know is I'm I'm one of the biggest dumbasses that I know. So it blows my mind that people like listen to me anyway. But it's uh that's a scary thought in and of itself. But Steve, where can everybody find you out there if they want to, you know, check out some of your training classes? I saw you have a pretty good calendar up there sure. with a few events coming up. Sure. Um, and maybe jump into something like that and train with you. Or if you do the social media thing, I know a lot of the guys in, in your world don't. But uh, tell them where they can get you. And then I'll put all these in the show notes so they can click on the article and see it all. Sure thing. Uh, best place, best location is stevetarani.com. And uh, that website takes you into the schedule and the training and all the courses that are offered and, and, and that. Um, and also, I'd like to offer our listeners, um, I have a newsletter that comes out every month, and it's called OSINT, or Open Source Intelligence. It's information that comes to me, nothing classified, of course, nothing sensitive, but it's what's current and it's what's relevant. It's current and emerging and very valuable information. doesn't cost you a dime. All you do is go to my website and uh, put in your uh, email address and your name and uh, where it says website, I'm sorry, where it says newsletter, you just click on that contact us newsletter and you can get your name on that and it comes out once a month. Uh, and uh, has very good information. It's uh, it's a it's a very uh, uh, short but uh, impactful and informative uh, piece of uh, piece of intelligence package. There, I think uh, I think our listeners would appreciate that type of information. That sounds good. I'm going to sign up. I'm on there right now. It's, so, what kind of information do, that usually comes out on that? Um, you know, you said it was open source, but uh, are we talking like in other countries or things happening in the uh, U.S. primarily? It, it, it specifically targets U.S. I, I work mostly, you know, folks who okay. are CONUS, uh, unless it is an international incident that we should be made aware of. That's very rare. But um, it includes uh, 
almost everything we talked about. It hits on all the topics. It hits on, hey, where can I get some good training? What 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 books are out there? Uh, you know, what, what, hey, there's this article in this one magazine that's very relevant to what's happening now uh, in, uh, for example, the, the rise in crime and things like that. So it, it takes very current. Oh, so you're just curating a bunch of good information for people. Yes, sir. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's awesome. So it's, 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 it doesn't, it doesn't sell anything. You know, it's not there designed to sell anything. It's, it's there to, to provide you information that put, put something very useful, very relevant under your eyes and, uh, for your situational awareness. Well, guys, that was Steve Tarani. Thank you for joining us, Steve. And, uh, a lot of good little nuggets in there, a lot of information. And, um, I, I hope people out there are inspired to dig a little bit deeper into you, but also dig a little deeper into, uh, you know, developing those, those soft skills and uh, understanding how much of an impact that is going to have on their defense goals, but also, you know, the, the goals that they may not even know that they have right now, because it's going to enrich your life in a lot of different ways. Um, Steve, again, thanks for coming on and uh, hope to see you again real soon. And everybody else out there, Till next time, the MagLife out.